And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined by Vic Tafer and Ted Wynn. Deshaun Reed is on vacation. As, as Ted tweeted, uh, I think he's eating uh, a well-done steak somewhere, but uh, we'll uh, we'll make do without him. He's probably drinking a beer right now, walking a dog, um, watching a baseball game. But let's talk roster cuts, guys. And we talked about it last week. We kind of teased, hinted toward didn't look like Alex Leatherwood was was bound for this roster. Nobody wanted him in a trade. The Raiders wave him, and they get a little bit of a gift where the Chicago Bears come up and do make a waiver claim, which will save the Raiders uh, some of that dead money. The, the Bears will take over his contract. Um, obviously, there still is a decent uh, dead money hit because uh, the signing bonus that they gave him last year is still fully guaranteed. You know that that's still prorated out. That's they'll still get charged that, but they do save that base salary that uh, the Bears now take over. But you know, Vic, you wrote about it. It is pretty mind-boggling that we got to a point where a year after drafting this guy, number 17 overall, that the Raiders were uh, saying goodbye. Yeah, you could just watch these games. I think the preseason games, uh, he got worse and worse instead of better and better. You would think that you know, pick up a new system. Get some confidence, maybe, but it was the opposite. I think his confidence definitely took a hit. He was getting beat both, uh, you know, on the edge and also even instantly got pushed back a couple times, which for him, he's a big guy, it shouldn't happen. So I just think that at some point, in you know, the new brain trust, like this is not going to work for us. And they didn't even try him at guard, I'm not exactly sure why. I think they probably just want him to focus on right tackle. This is going to be your spot if it is a spot with us. And I just think that, uh, they couldn't trade him because at that point, I mean, teams watch the film. Teams know what you're thinking. They're like, we're well, going to, if you don't trade, you're going to cut him. So obviously, why am I going to trade for him? So I think that's what happened. And he goes to the Bears. The Bears clean him off waivers. It's a fresh start for him, which is good. I mean, I don't think he did anything wrong, really. He definitely um, he was overpicked. But that's not his fault. I think he worked hard this offseason. He was in good shape. I think he said all the right things. Was a, his teammates liked him. So just a guy who you know, fell into a bad spot and things got worse. And again, you know, in this league, confidence is, is, is everything. And you can definitely tell that he lost it. And that was, uh, I think, his undoing in, in the end. I think this is his third line coach in three years. And at Alabama, I think he had three line coaches at Alabama also. So, you know, with, with different coaches, they're trying to teach different techniques. And it seemed like they were trying to teach him some new techniques this season. And it just looked like there was so much going on in his head when he played. He just did not look like he was playing with confidence, like you said, or he just looked like he was playing a beat slow. And there was times 
he didn't even get off the ball at times. You know, that's, that's just how little confidence he was playing with, and it just looked like things really snowballed on him. And maybe this change of scenery is exactly what he needed. I don't think he'll start for the Bears. Maybe he'll, he'll sit back and that'll give him a chance to kind of have a mental reset, which might be what he needs. But I, I can understand why the Raiders just didn't want to invest more in him. But I was also really surprised that they're willing to take that, that cap hit as well. Yeah, and for the Bears, I mean, in claiming him, fairly cheap depth op- depth option for them it's three years 5.9 million so under two million a year because they don't have you know that that salary cap or that that signing bonus that gets prorated out so it's he's a becomes a fairly cheap depth piece for them but um yeah i mean for the raiders watching you know the final preseason game against the patriots i don't know if you guys noticed it but you know it got to the point where like every play that's all you're just watching you're just watching alex leatherwood because his development his his play is you know probably the most important storyline and it seemed like the Patriots just knew that he you know, kind of didn't was, was frozen out there. There was a lot of plays where like they wouldn't even have anybody pass rush on him or it maybe it would be delayed. It seemed like they were doing a lot of like intentionally trying to make him think a lot. He would come off the ball and just nobody would come in his way. And so it would just kind of get his head on a swivel. It was tough to watch. I mean, it was unfortunate to see a guy who, you know, a year ago was drafted and we're just we're drafting this guy. He's going to be our starting right tackle or bookend tackle next to Colton Miller for the next five, 10 years. And, and here he is. I mean, a year later, like he just looks like he doesn't even belong. Yeah. And when you have a, a new regime, they, they come in and they all say, you know, we have open mind all the guys we have back from last year. There are guys now, but you have to look at it. These guys have all done their scout evaluations when they were drafting for the Patriots. They've all had, they know Leatherwood pretty well coming in. They're what they like, don't like about him. So uh, you come in with the, your open mind is not that open. So I think you kind of know early on if this guy is going to work out or what has to happen. And I think right away they saw that it was not going to be a, a good for them. I just think that take a step back, like what we said, and put him on the bench, mental reset, maybe put him at guard. They're like, you know what? This is it. I mean, this is not really our guy. We, we gave it a shot. Let's just move on. And, and you kind of put it on the old regime, like this is their mistake. That's on them. Let's just go forward. And that's what they did. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's definitely um, it's a big cap hit and definitely it's, a, you know, it's ironic because this old line's not good. It has a lot of problems. And so to get rid of the guy at the price of eight million dollars on a battle line is really telling because you're definitely saying we're not sure what we have here, but you're not going to be one of our possible solutions. Like Brandon Parker's hurt. Elmanor's you know, kind of a question mark. I know he's a veteran guy, but obviously he was fourth on depth chart at the start of training camp. Thayer Munford, seventh-round picks. There's no really you know, good options here at this point. But they said, this guy's not going to be one of our options. I think that's where the fair criticism could come in, though, is like, why not try him at guard? Because it's not like you have these obvious answers at guard. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Whenever we talk to uh, to Josh or Dave, we'll definitely ask him that. I think um, I do think it's gonna, they're going to say that, you know what, we just want him to focus on this. Talk about, they've talk about the reps. He's going with different coaches, like, like Ted mentioned. Let's just have focus on this. Lock it on this. Don't worry about God. Get your footwork right, your hands. This is going to be your, your ticket. And, I mean, ideally, they, they wish it had worked. It could be a backup tackle, maybe a swing tackle. But, like you said, it got worse. And so I just think that my, my guess is they want him to focus in on this. Again, they're not you know bound to him long term, so they don't really have to make it work. They're like, this is, this is your ticket. It's going to work. This is how it's going to work. If not, then we're going to move on. And that's, I think, what happened. They try to teach him some techniques and, and things that for tackle, and he just was not responding. So I would imagine them thinking, you know, probably were very low on the chances that he could 
go to another position and learn the techniques and things that he needs to learn for guard when he just couldn't pick up these things at tackle. I think they probably were just like, I, I don't think we want to you know, mess around with that and just decide that they, they weren't going to do it. The question now becomes over the coming days, um, you know, we're talking here Wednesday morning, the waiver claims just came out. The Raiders were not awarded any waiver claims. We don't know if they submitted any for anybody, but they did not add any offensive linemen via waiver claim. We'll see um, in terms of guys who have cleared waivers, if they make some additions, you would think they would. But as of right now, nobody awarded via waiver claim. I mean, you would think they've got to find some more bodies. Uh, You know, we don't know about the Munford injury, how long he might be out. Um, We know Brandon Parker now is out for the whole season, they kind of were had waited to put him on IR. I think they were seemed like they were going to see if they could, you know, ho- hold on to him through the 53 man and, and maybe put him on the IR with the ability to bring him back. That ultimately n- not what they did. Um, so now you just wonder wh- where do they go if this starting five? They've got six guys. I think they probably feel like they can rely on. Um, if you can include Parham as maybe a guy who starts the season as a backup, but could slot in at any of the the three interior spots. But I mean, if if Illuminor is your starting right tackle, we don't know how long Munford's out, and then you're talking like Jackson Barton, <laughs> this offensive line that has question marks at the starting positions. You know, Vic. At one point, a couple of weeks ago, you were, you were lauding that at least the offensive line has depth. I, I think we we can say now that that no, they don't even have depth, uh, really, to speak of. Yeah, I mean, remember back when they got Devontae Adams? I think I what about the Super Bowl window. Now they they have a real shot. All they gotta do is address the offensive line and they're set. And back then, if you had told me that going into Week One, they're gonna have Lester Cotton at right guard and Dwayne Elmore at right tackle. I wouldn't have said that was the answer I was looking for back then. I would have said, oh, okay, then we're, we're good. So I think there's definitely a major concern there. They have to add somebody, you think. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I know we, we wrote, uh, Deshaun wrote that Dave didn't like the guys, the options in the free agent market, but uh, he, you got to rethink that a little bit. Maybe like, you know what? That guy ain't so bad. That guy, I, he's kind of growing on me now that I've watched what we have. So I think they have to do something. I just don't know if you can go with that right side of the line against a really tough, you know, Chargers to the D-line uh, week one and even the rest of the year. But uh, even Thayer Munford, I know he's he's got some potential, but counting on his seventh-round pick as an insurance policy at right tackle in the NFL as a rookie, that's really asking a lot. I think Raider fans should be a little concerned. I think this definitely was always a concern, but now it's like, hey, what, what's going on? Because this is not what we had in mind. Derek Carr is going to be like two seconds uh from snap to throw every uh, every pass. Which, I mean, I, I'm sure that's part of the, the thought process. They, they are going to be a quick-release team. They got receivers will be open as soon as the ball's hiked. So I'm sure maybe that's probably why they weren't horribly alarmed by this whole thing. They're like, that was in your back pocket. We are going to get rid of the ball quickly. And these guys are you know pretty good at the run-blocking part of it. But still, I mean, you're still asking a lot of uh, Lester Cotton, who's been a great story. You know, has cut four times, worked hard. But that's a big jump for him. Jermaine Elamanoa, like I mentioned, veteran guy, but not really, I would say, you know, that reliable over his career. He's kind of been up and down. He was, like I said, at the bottom of the depth chart at the start of training camp. So um, I, I like him. He's definitely a, a tough guy. But you're asking a lot of those two guys uh, to put him out there week one uh, as starters. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of help for the right tackle. And, you know, in the preseason, they just kept a tight end over the right tackle and just had a chip, which, you know, it hurts the spacing of your passing game. But... Yeah, at least you slow down that end a little bit. So I, I think what will happen is we're going to see Foster Moreau line up at tight end and help a lot. And we'll see Darren Waller kind of split out wide uh, a little bit more. All right, well, let's talk about the other moves. And, and I think the other biggest move was a uh, former second round pick, uh, Trayvon Mullen, traded to the Arizona Cardinals 
for a conditional seventh round pick with playtime incentives. It could be boosted to a sixth round pick, which is obviously not great value for uh, for a guy you drafted in the second round. I had a lot of question marks about him. I, I mean, obviously the injury history, he's been he struggled to stay on the field. He, he hasn't been able to be on the field long enough to know truly what they have. You know, he's like, we think he's a solid cornerback, but we haven't, we still haven't seen enough of him. And clearly for the Raiders, um, they probably, I guess, had seen enough, had seen enough to determine that he wasn't going to be part of them. And so there he is. He's shipped off to Arizona for uh, maybe a six round pick. Every time we talked about him this offseason, I think we always said, well, we don't really know what the new regime thinks of him. It's hard to really figure out what they would think of him. And now we obviously know what they think of him. He wasn't much. I think, um, like you mentioned, there's time here. He was fine. He never really broke through. He was a guy you could rely on. He had some moments where he had some good coverage. Not great as far as, you know, playing the ball at times. But, again, he was fine. And, and again, the injury problems, the history was also not great. So, I think he was not really reliable. So, they brought in some new guys, I and mean, they brought in, you know, Averett, and they brought in Rocky Sin, and uh, you know, Nate, Nate Hobbs may be playing more outside. So they just figured, you know, with this guy, again, not, he's not our guy. So um, they were able to get something for him. They were going to cut him if they didn't trade for uh, trade him. So I think for them, a conditional seventh-round to sixth-round pick was was enough. So a new regime comes in, the old guys definitely have to be, uh, you know, on watch and alert that they may not be there for long. I think they just really like the the corners that they, they have – Right now, and you know, I I think Mullen the draw with him is that he could play a lot of different types of coverage. I think he's fine in press, but I think the guys that they acquired are just like uh, are press specialists. Like they they're that's you could put them in a, a scheme where you know you ha- you could play heavy press, and I don't think Mullen fits that scheme. Also, you know, I, I he just didn't have a lot of time with the the new regime, so they don't know what they have in him, and they were going to come anyways. So. Getting a pick out of it is, you know, I guess a good thing. Among the other moves, uh, Keelan Cole, uh, this was one we kind of, I think, watching that final preseason game. And we got into the fourth quarter, uh, you know, Vic, you and Tashawn were, were putting together uh, your 53-man roster. And we can admit to the public now, uh, up until about five minutes before that game ended, we had Keelan Cole on our projected 53 and, and, and DJ Turner cut. And then we're watching the, the end of this fourth quarter and... and DJ Turner's been sitting on the sidelines for a while, and, and Keelan Cole is out there. And it was given the shades of John Brown from last season when he was out there in the second half of that final preseason game against the 49ers. And we, we kind of put our heads together and said, yeah, maybe we should make a switch. Um, we did make a switch, and uh, our, our switch was accurate. As Keelan Cole cut DJ Turner, and, and I think probably what it comes down to is when you're talking about th- this is a guy that's going to be the fourth or fifth receiver and DJ Turner probably offers more special teams value there. And, and that's important um, when you're talking about end of the end of the rotation receivers. Yeah. If you're playing in the fourth quarter of the last preseason game, that's not good. That's not a good sign. And so, you're a veteran. And you're a veteran. That's not good. So I was surprised. I thought he looked good during camp. I think, you know, you knew what he was. He was a veteran guy, good route runner, not explosive, but a good route runner, very, very good route runner who knows how to get open. He's had a pretty good career in the NFL. I think Derek Carr, mentioned he thought he was a reliable guy. So I was a little surprised in terms of a guy he mentioned if you need someone to step up because of injury, he'd be a guy you could plug in and, and feel okay about. But DJ Turner had a nice preseason. He made some plays. Like you mentioned, special teams will be a factor. So why not go with the younger guy who's cheaper and uh, and see how it goes. Yeah, and also they just Turner and Johnson offer more speed too. So I think that just kind of rounds up the receiving core a little bit better because, you know, there's a lot of 
possession type of receivers. Obviously, Devontae Adams and Walter can win deep too, but they're bigger bodies. So just getting uh, some smaller guys that could take the top off the defense kind of rounds out the um, the type of skills you have on that receiving core. Yeah, and we'll see what happens with Cole. I mean, he he was as a veteran, he was not subject to waivers, so um, him not being he, he was not a guy that could have been claimed on waivers. You never know. I mean, the Raiders could bring him back to the practice squad if they kind of left on good terms. Um, you know, we'll see. But uh, if you can end up getting him back, a guy that you yeah, that, that could be a factor, too, is like a guy like DJ Turner. If you waive him, he does get exposed to waivers. Keelan Cole doesn't. So you do have the ability to maybe have that conversation with him. Like, listen, we're going to waive you, but we want to bring you back on the practice squad. You know, they've got those game day elevations that they could do, which we could talk about because this roster kept five running backs um, in order to keep both of their draft picks. Britton Brown makes the team. That could be part of it is, is, you know, there are some machinations that we have to do where if we put some of these guys that are exposed to waivers on waivers that we might lose, we want to kind of keep those guys on the roster um, and without risking losing them. So maybe that's, that's part of it, but um, we'll have to see what happens when they start forming that practice squad. Yeah, this first 53 definitely is going to be fluid. I think, uh, you know, Britton Brown had a nice camp, but there's no reason you need five running backs on that. But, uh, and then that guy who made it, um, running back by committee, man. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, everyone, everyone gets, everyone gets six, uh, six touches or seven touches. That's it. But, um, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, then Britton Brown had a really nice camp, but he ran well. I know they liked him a lot. So I think maybe it is easier to get him on the practice squad this way versus exposing him to waivers and seeing what happens. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think another one of the surprises, uh, Darius Phillips. You know, we thought he looked like he was going to have a role as, as like maybe their fourth corner. He, you know, was returning a lot of punts in the preseason. We thought he might, you know, factor in their punt returner. I know it's looking more and more like they might, you know, still go with Hunter Renfro there. Um, so maybe, you know, between having Hunter Renfro, between having DJ Turner, they, they didn't really feel like they needed a, another guy that could return punts. But uh, but Phillips was the guy that we, we kind of thought um, looked like he had a roster spot in line. Yeah, you never should assume things. I assumed he was in. I th- I'm probably sure he did also. I think based on the you know, the way they they signed him, they talked really highly of him. He seemed to be okay in, in camp and in games. He mentioned different roles, but um, I guess he lost out to uh, you know Meek Robertson and and the Sam Webb. I mean Sam Webb's undrafted uh, free agent who made some plays in games, and um, Meek Robertson had a nice. He looked good. Uh, he looked better in camp than he did in the games. But he's a guy that coaches spoke highly of. A guy who kind of. Uh, has those, those ball hawking skills, very aggressive despite his size. They like that. So maybe he can be a factor in the slot. But uh, those two guys definitely uh, beat out Darius Phillips. Sam Webb is a, uh, is a really good athlete, tested really well. And I think what probably convinced the staff was 
just how well he played against the Patriots starters. You know, they probably wouldn't know if he was just playing well against backups, but the fact that he was able to hang and play well against the Patriots starters probably can you know convinced him that he's he's worth investing in and continuing to develop. I said this about Sam Webb. He came from a you know, very small college, kind of uh, a lot of question marks. In the first week of camp, the first two weeks of camp, I was like, this guy's not very good. But he clearly worked hard and got better. Definitely, it's, I'm sure there's an adjustment period where you got to kind of learn some stuff and kind of take a, a, take a notch up. So definitely, he definitely came on and, and got better throughout camp and preseason, which is what you want to see from young guys. We have four undrafted rookies who make the roster web. Um two linebackers, Darian Butler, Luke Masterson, and then uh, the safety, Isaiah, Isaiah Polamau. Um, I mean, the, the whole the whole draft class and, and four undrafted rookies, um, we talk about this as being a roster that lined up pretty well, but there was some areas where there was opportunity uh, to, to find a spot, and four undrafted guys all on the defensive side. Um, I mean, this obviously is a, a roster that is weighted more heavily to the offense, um, although they, they need to make some gains on the offensive line. But four undrafted rookies, what do you think that says about uh, this roster and this regime and how they looked at putting this together? Well, we talked about Paulo Mouth throughout training camp in the preseason, so that's no surprise that he made the <laughs> roster. He's definitely a guy who we were all on that guy. Man, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, uh, they like his upside. He's a guy who uh, was team captain in USC. You know, he's good at covering tight ends, clearly a special teams guy. So, to me, that was you know the biggest surprise. I didn't really have him uh, on my radar. But, um, you know, all you got to do is impress the coaches during meetings or you know, we don't watch all the practices. We're not on total access, but um, I'm sure I do walkthroughs when I'm watching and they see things that we don't see. But uh, clearly, they like, like his upside. So, yeah, they got all the young guys who draft, like you mentioned, all the undrafted guys. I mean, they were high on Masterson and Butler from the get-go. Those are guys they, they think will definitely be big-time players before too long. So, yeah, they're very happy with their rookie class, and we'll, and we'll see how it goes. Palomar, he has some size, too. He's 6'4", so if he, you know, he can move and cover tight ends, that, that, that could be pretty valuable. All right, one of the other storylines surrounding this team, and um, who knows, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, um, this will be somewhat resolved, but... Uh, Darren Waller changed his agents. He's now being represented by Drew Rosenhaus as of Wednesday. He left Clutch, um, who he had just joined, what, maybe a year ago. We know that the official team word has been that he's been out because of a hamstring injury, but um, obviously there's contract stuff at play, and Drew Rosenhaus didn't mince words uh, in his comments to, uh, to, I think, Adam Schefter that, you know, they're, they're hoping to get this contract done soon. Uh, there was a report from Justina Anderson earlier in the week that, uh, you know, there was there was maybe an offer or close to an offer out there for for $16 million a year that would make him the highest paid tight end. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, obviously having him in the fold, getting him back on the practice field with some time to ramp up for the season is important because, you know, a large part of their offense is, is based around having those three guys Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller out there catching passes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Rosenhaus definitely is, um, I don't want to say tougher, but definitely uh, more um, driven. Definitely will do things to push the envelope, kind of get deals done. I mean, there's always threats of a holdout here and there, and I don't think Darren wants to hold out, but I definitely will be a different approach by Drew. Josina's report is interesting because it came after he, you know, he fired Clutch and before they actually could hire someone new. It's in that little five-period dead zone. She says there's discussions about this huge deal, which if there were, I think, I mean, I'm not saying they're not, but wouldn't that have been done? So the whole thing to me is is, is weird. And um, I, I know Darren wants to play. He definitely uh, um, is a team a team leader on this team, definitely has a 
big hopes for the team this year. I don't think he wants to be a part of that. So, yeah, let's hope for a resolution sooner before later. Yeah, I was going to ask, it's kind of weird that if he's close to a big deal and all of a sudden you're at the finish line and you, you switch agents, like, you know, why would you do that? How's that work? I don't think she said close. I think there's been discussions of this the deal. So I, I mean, it was very vague. Most of these kind of tweets are vague. But, yeah, the whole thing, I think people don't really – people are trying to guess what's going on. And Darren's not saying anything. The radio's not really saying anything. So it's kind of like you kind of piece together, talk to people – like close to both Waller and, and Clutch and kind of pieced together. But clearly he was frustrated with the lack of progress. Otherwise, he wouldn't have let let Clutch go. I think he wanted this to be done a long time ago. And here we are, you know, two weeks before the year starts. And um, his deal will get guaranteed once the first game hits. But obviously he wants a lot more. He's, he's vastly underpaid right now. He's just not, you know, like his 17th is his salary, is the average salary for um, 17th among tight ends. And he's probably like, in my mind, the top three guy. Worst case, top five, but clearly he's underpaid. I think they know that. He knows that. And so we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I mean, the top five tight ends in the league are all making at least $13.7 million per year. He's scheduled to make $13.8 million over the next two years. So he's he's making half or less than uh, than what a top tight end you know, would make. And, you know, he turns 30 in two weeks, uh, I think the two days after the opener. This is his opportunity to cash in. I mean, if he if he waits until next offseason, um, yeah, I mean, next offseason he should still. But if he waits all the way until free agency, um, you know, by the time you're almost 32, it, it's, it's a little tougher to cash in. So this is the time for him to uh, to secure some money. So uh, we'll see what happens. Props to Mike Mack and John Gruden. That's the one team-friendly deal that actually worked out well for them. That actually was a smart move by them to lock him up when they did at a really good uh, number. So Everyone's killing them and probably deservedly so. But props to those guys. That was a nice move they made with Darren Waller's contract. They got him locked up basically after a half a season of production, you know, and it was smart. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we watched him and but holy crap, this guy's incredible. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know, let's, let's get this done as fast as we can, and that's what happened. So, and I don't know how sound that process is when you just like watch guys warm up and decide, like, oh, that's the guy right there. But hey, don't hate on Oli. <laughs> it worked out in this case. Oli, Oli nailed, <laughs> Oli nailed that man. He saw the guy. No, no, no. Yeah, props to him. And I like how whenever you criticize, like, uh, what you know, the the previous regime, there's some truthers left out there. But they got Waller. <laughs> or like everyone says, oh, Renf- don't forget about Renford and Crosby. Those are like those are great picks. Like, yeah, all right, so. They got two out of uh, 23. But um, think about Waller. They're talking about the pregame stuff when Olsen spotted him. I mean, I, we've all seen plenty of pregame you know, warm-ups. They're pretty boring. It's pretty – I mean, <laughs> if Darren Waller comes out there, you know, probably no shirt, starts grabbing – he's a specimen, starts grabbing passes, running around. You're like, holy crap, who the hell is that? It was always, always like, who the hell is that guy? And that's what happened. So, I mean, kudos for being in the right place at the right time. All right, we're going to take a few questions here. Uh, we've got one from JT here on Twitter. Um, with Chicago saving the Raiders $5.9 million in dead cap by claiming Alex Leatherwood, is there any chance Furl gets cut? Vic had mentioned he was on the bubble, but the dead cap hit saved him. Well, now um, the Bears picking up Leatherwood on waivers does save the Raiders that $5.9 million, Basically, the full, you know, his remaining guaranteed salary now is no longer part of the, the Raiders cap hit. They still are going to get a dead cap hit for the the, the prorated portion of his of his signing bonus. But the dead cap hit is now not nearly enough. Uh, Vic, could you see a scenario where they, they add some pieces uh, to this team and Cleveland Furl uh, still ends up getting the cut now that they uh, don't have as large of a dead cap hit with Leatherwood? It's possible. You also could probably, I would think you could trade Clee. I think Clee's got some trade value on Matt. He's definitely um, a guy you could probably plug in as a role guy. I'm just not sure what his role is going to be for the Raiders. They've brought in so many new guys, both outside and inside. 
I think he's, like I said, he's on the bubble. I'm sure he's still on the bubble. I think, um, and uh, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But I, I can, I think he could probably, I think he could trade Cleve or something. I think some team might see enough to want to plug him in in the rotation. I think he's fine depth. You know, he can play inside, outside a little bit. He was playing inside a little bit against uh, the Patriots. And um, I don't know if anybody's going to come up and offer a, a draft pick for him, but I, I think he's okay as a depth depth piece. A $10 million, most expensive depth piece. But yeah, whatever. It is what it is. I mean, I, I don't think Klee's a bad player. So I think Klee could help you in, in certain ways. But I still don't know how much of opportunities to get this season. Yeah, I mean, because you figure if they trade him, obviously the team takes on you know his his base salary for this year which is pretty sizable i mean he's number four pick like him uh you know is going to make a a big base salary so um they would save a lot of money if they're able to trade him that's why a trade for him probably is unlikely because a a team probably not going to want to trade and take on that huge base salary whereas with leatherwood being a later pick base salary not as huge and as ian rapaport said they had trade discussions with every team and 32 said no so including the raiders they all said no the Raiders probably, you would think, had a good idea of how the rest of the league viewed Leatherwood, and they probably had an idea. Okay, nobody wants to trade us for him, but somebody out there, you know, might pick him up on waivers, and that's going to save us some of this big dead cap hit. But you know, a question here on Leatherwood from uh, Chalupa Batman: Why did the Raiders sour so quickly on Leatherwood? Seems all old line experts on Twitter, which is really the the way we should all be viewing life through, is is old line experts on Twitter. Um, Think he's a player worth trying to invest in to see if he can fix his technique issues. He's bad now, but his potential is surely more valuable than Barton at OT4 or make him OT5 and cut a running back. I'm guessing part of it is, is maybe they had a good idea that they could, somebody would take him on waivers and they wouldn't get the huge dead cap hit. But, I mean, yeah, I think you kind of addressed it earlier that they just they weren't invested in him. Yeah, even when and we mentioned Barton. When Barton played, he wasn't a liability. I mean, when Leatherwood played in these preseason games – it was a liability. He was definitely dangerous to put out there as far as your quarterback's health. So I just think that you make a decision at some point early on, this is not really going to be our guy. And that's just part of what you're thinking. So um, I think once you decide that, you, don't, you can't keep him on as a, as a third or fourth tackle. It doesn't really accomplish anything. So you make a clean break and you kind of just move. And again, new regimes love to put stuff in the old regimes. Like, you know what? That was their mistake. That Man, that was horrible. We have to overcome that horrible draft history. So you always want to like throw shade on the guys who kind of came before you to kind of help build you up and also to kind of give you a little more a longer timeline going forward. I mean, these coaches always are thinking backwards and forwards. So I think if a guy's not your guy, you just pin on the old regime and, and you move on. They probably just weren't thrilled that he wasn't responding to their coaching. You know, it, it was going in the opposite direction. So I, I think a fresh start was just good for both parties all right we'll go two more questions before we get out of here we'll go with this one from the rawest if a corner gets hurt who the hell is next man up Amik, right Amik robertson is that good i don't know but uh that's the thing i mean to me you watch trayvon mullen you watch Amik robertson to me there's no question that trayvon's a better player but again it's all about you know coaching staff fit scheme what they think and so they went with Amik and uh and sam webb and we'll see how that goes and you can always add a veteran guy those guys are a lot of veteran corners in the market. So, yeah, yeah. obviously, you're not going to win. You don't want any injuries to happen because you like your top three guys a lot. So hopefully those top three guys can kind of uh, hold you down for a while. They'll probably bump Hobbs outside if one of the outside corners get hurt. And either Roberson or, or Webb would play the nickel, uh, I assume. Yeah, that's a good assumption. Final question here from Ari. And we're going to ask this question because he's not here. 
He wants to know, how do you guys deal with all of Deshaun Reed's bad food takes? Norm. I really do. <laughs> I don't pay him any attention whatsoever. What do you want I, to- I think Ted gets more upset by them, I think, than, than, than the rest of us. It's just because he's wasting steaks. That's why. You know, like... There's going to be a cow shortage in California because of the drought soon. Meat's getting more expensive, wow. and you know he's just over there overcooking, overcooking steaks. You know, it's just it's just a waste. Wasting steaks out here. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up this week's episode of State of the Nation. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to have a little fun. Do uh, do our annual over unders. Uh, we'll uh, we'll come up with some stat lines that uh, you know is you know on the Raiders preseason broadcast. They keep pumping up Derek Carr going over five thousand yards passing. Uh, I don't know if we'll set the over under quite that high. Maybe what do you think? Forty eight hundred. Sounds good. Forty eight hundred will be probably our over under. We pick. Uh, can, can Derek get over thirty touchdowns? I don't know. Crosby, can he get back to the ten sack plateau? We'll uh, we'll come up with some good ones and uh, we'll discuss those. We will give you our record predictions. I think next week will be time for our give our season record predictions. Who has more yards rushing, Josh Jacobs or Samir White? I know who you're picking. Tease. <laughs> All right, that'll be next week's show. Season record predictions over-unders, and uh, we'll see if the Raiders have picked up some more offensive linemen by then. But uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Adios. Later. I never snapped in my life. Let's have some fun. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.